With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're not going to pass you again. Yes, sir. Let's go, man! Dude, I, I'm, I'm telling you, we've been excited about this. I, I thought we lost you when we moved up, and I'm excited to get you here. We're excited to get you here. we got a heck of a foundation growing, man. It's going to be fun. Feel me? Yes, sir. I can't wait. All gas, brother. Let's roll, man. Hey, I'm... What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPile11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a very special guest today, Sam Monson of PFF, PFF underscore Sam, PFF NFL podcast. How you doing today, Sam? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, excited, excited to have you on. I think it's some nice waves in Jets Twitter this week in a, in a positive manner. Anything that's anti-Jamal Adams and pro-Marcus May, people get fired up about. But no, we're happy to have you on and uh, exciting stuff in, the, in Jets world right now. Yeah, it's it's got to be a good time to be a Jets fan. You know, you get a new quarterback. That's always uh, time for hope. Obviously, the last one didn't work out too well, but that's what you do, right? You move on, you swing again, and you see if you can finally find that guy, the, the transformative quarterback that can make a difference and take the team somewhere different. You're saying the Jets haven't had a quarterback in a while? I feel like that's... <laughs> yeah, not for a little bit, not for a little bit. It's okay, no, but um, obviously the Jets had a pretty – in-depth offseason in terms of free agent signings, draft picks, trades. Um, obviously, the, the hot topic going into the offseason was whether they keep Sam or not. They obviously moved on. He'll be in Carolina, and um, they went with Zach Wilson. Two-part question. What are your overall, like, the thoughts on the offseason, good, bad, kind of indifferent? And then what was maybe your favorite move, um, the favorite move the Jets made, you know, this summer? I think it's been a really good offseason. I think they made a lot of good additions. They've attack things in a smart way in a bunch of different um maneuvers the one area or the one move that we would be sort of a little bit critical of them is trading up in the first round for elijah vera tucker but you know i said a while ago that when you start looking through how many guards good guards there are in the nfl you can kind of see why they did it like it, it gets very thin very quickly and um, you know, if you think that Vera Tucker is that guy who can come in and be a top tier guard right away, then trading for him is it's not the worst move in the world, right? Securing that and making sure you actually have somebody of quality on the offensive line is important because they've already thrown a lot of resources at that offensive line. And a lot of them didn't necessarily work out. You know, they, they threw a ton at it and, and changed the personnel a lot, but some of those guys just haven't worked out. So, 
you know, your, your alternatives are you keep swinging, you keep adding offensive linemen through free agency, or you keep searching for those guys, but there's a guard shortage in the NFL right now. So snagging a guy like Vera Tucker, even if you have to trade up to make it happen, it's a move that I don't necessarily hate, even if the, the sort of general, um, process of trading up in the first round for anybody that isn't a quarterback is it's kind of frowned upon by you know the analytics generally and and, uh, data driven kind of decisions but you look at that you look at grabbing zach wilson elijah moore is a player that a lot of people really liked and i think in the second round is really good value um carl lawson i think is a great move in free agency brings them the best pass rusher they've had maybe since john abraham on, on the roster um, and then I think, you know, the biggest move really that they've made is, is potentially at head coach, bringing in Robert Sala um, and what he can do, given where he's come from in San Francisco, I think is a really encouraging thing for the whole franchise. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot there. And I think um, Sala is the one that has to stand out the most, right? Head coach and quarterback in the NFL is, is paramount to pretty much anything. If you can nail those two things, you're going to be successful for a long time. I'm not saying Zach Wilson's going to ever be Tom Brady, obviously, and that's always going to ever be Bill Belichick. But if you look at just having a competent head coach and competent quarterback, every year you're going to give yourself a competitive chance to, to be in the playoffs and whether the roster around them is great or not. But um, in terms of a couple of the moves they, you know, did they maybe made that or didn't make that you would have preferred to see them make, did you like like a Corey Davis signing or um, some of those other kind of pieces that draw Davis signing kind of people are mixed on and then, um, obviously with trading Sam, I think you were kind of in agreement there, but um, did you kind of like what they did there or those things that kind of stood out to you as um, I wish they would have addressed other needs? No, I, I like the Corey Davis signing. I thought um, Corey Davis obviously had a, a breakout year, a career year last season. And I think it sort of showed that, Hey, he might not be the number one receiver that people thought he was going to be when he was drafted, but he's shown that if you only need him to be a number two, if you just need him to be part of a receiving core, he can win one-on-one against, you know, guys that aren't necessarily the best corners in the world. And, and this is a receiving group that across the board needed to be overhauled and get better. So all of a sudden now, you know, if Denzel Mims can take a step forward in year two, if Corey Davis can now just be a secondary guy, if Jamison Crowder and Elijah Moore can be destructive from the slot and be third and fourth receivers, that's all of a sudden a receiving group that looks, you know, really pretty good. And it doesn't need Corey Davis to be an elite number one wide receiver that he probably can't be, um, or just doesn't have the, the, the talent to be, I think. So yeah, I, I thought Corey Davis was a good move. You know, they paid enough to make it happen, but I think that's a, a solid move that moves the team in the right direction. So yeah, I, I really don't see a ton of moves that they've made that I, I don't like over the course of the off season. One that uh, kind of stood out, and you mentioned Denzel Mims there. Um, obviously, a ton of potential, and a couple people on Twitter tweeted in. Um, one of our own, Michael Meegan, tweeted in on uh, on Twitter about you were really. I think I believe you were pretty high on him coming out um, and his upside. And then obviously last year, stuff with Sam and Flacco and all this stuff and injuries didn't he flash, but maybe didn't perform as well as people were hoping, just based on everything. Do you still have that same feeling for him that this year, new quarterback, new system, that he can reach that potential you saw in him? coming out uh in 2020 yeah i mean now i almost treat this upcoming season as as denzel mims rookie year you know i I think i i I loved him coming out i thought he was a really good prospect he had the highest grade in the one-on-ones we've ever seen at the senior bowl um absolutely destroyed everybody there all week long 
then, you know, did all of his workout numbers and was a way better athlete than I think a lot of people were expecting him to be. And when you look back at his college tape, it was a lot of sort of, well, why didn't that show up necessarily at, at Baylor all the time? And a lot of it was because his role there was so kind of prescribed and, and limited that teams knew what they were doing. Like he didn't have the ability to sort of sell them on something else because they knew he wasn't going to run anything different. They were just covering the three routes that he was going to run and didn't have to worry about anything else. So all of this stuff that we saw from him in the one-on-ones at the senior bowl, like he, he couldn't do any of that because nobody was buying. So, and then when he went to the jets, I, I was kind of bummed because I thought, look, as good as I think Denzel Mims can be, he just doesn't really have a shot there. Like it's not going to work out well for the jets in 2020. Sam Darnold isn't going to be good. The offensive scheme isn't going to be good. The, the offensive line, as much as they've thrown resources at it, probably isn't going to take a giant leap forward. So we're not going to get to know anything about Denzel Mims year one. And that's kind of the way it went. But now with how much has changed, new quarterback, new coach, new new offensive line still they've kept working on it new receiving group there's the better players around him like this is the year we're going to find out a little bit about Denzel Mims now because it's it's essentially a rookie year from him I don't know if we'll see him like how good he can be but you know we should at least see whether we were right or not the people that liked him coming out and and there was a, a few of us um you know whether those guys are right whether Denzel Mims has got that kind of ability because all the, I think all a receiver needs is, you know, just a platform, just enough to be able to show that you can be that guy. And, and Zach Wilson, I think, is, is the kind of quarterback that can at least figure out if, if someone like Denzel Mims can get it done. And so, yeah, I'd be pretty excited about what Mims can do this year. Kind of transitioning, you kind of just mentioned something there that I was curious about. And obviously, it doesn't really matter now. But in terms of if you remove, like, when, where Sam was coming out, um, obviously it didn't work out in New York and we'll see how it goes in Carolina. I think I'm more optimistic than most that it could, could be successful, but at the end of the day, he's going to have to say, has to prove it on the field because no one can really defend. Once you're away from Adam Gase and the Jets, you can't, if you're going to play badly, no one can defend it. But how did you feel about Wilson coming out um, comparatively to maybe where you felt about Sam coming out? I know people retrospectively are more mixed about Sam when they was coming out. Some people I'm at their number one quarterbacks, people on three or four. Wilson kind of felt the same way where you had Chris Sims of the world said he was the best quarterback in the draft class. Other guys had Lance or Mac Jones or, you know, Fields, so on and so forth. How did you kind of feel about those two coming out? And maybe where do you see Wilson being able to thrive in this West Coast Shanahan, you know, a version of a uh, version of the offense? I was never wild about Sam Darnold coming out as a prospect. That being said, like he was my number three quarterback that year. And I would feel better about that if my number two hadn't been Josh Rosen. So it's not like I can be, you know, do too many victory laps over not loving Darnold. The one guy, like I had Baker Mayfield as the number one quarterback. I thought he was clearly the number one guy. Um, then Rosen and Darnold and then uh, Allen and Lamar. So that whole group has been kind of chaos since that 2018 season or the 2018 draft. They've been all over the place. Every year is a new number one guy. Right. And I think like it could be that way for for years. Like Baker might be the best quarterback of that group in 2021, given how good the Browns look to be around him. So we can confidently confidently say Rosen other than, can we confidently say Rosen? Yeah, Rosen's the one. Rosen is the one guy that I think just you get written off. But every other one of those guys 
is at least still hanging on, not just as a starter, but they've shown flashes, they've shown something. And yeah, look, I, I don't love Darnold, but there are people out there that think, hey, you, you put him in Carolina with this better group of receivers with Joe Brady as coordinator, he'll take a giant step forward. And if he does, like that's that's four guys from that group that were that have shown really good play at one period or another. Um, I think Wilson is a better prospect than Darnold was, even if it's it's um, it's very fragile. Like Wilson's thing is what we saw from him this year was incredible, but it was a really small sample size. It came at BYU, so and and he wasn't so not only was he facing not great competition, but that impacted both ways, right? It meant that a he wasn't carving up great defenses, but it also meant that he wasn't put under a ton of pressure or didn't get to see particularly disadvantageous situations as a quarterback. So it's it's difficult to you know you compare that to a guy like Baker Mayfield who had three seasons of you know elite high level play and and dealt with some of the same questions in terms of he wasn't facing great defenses and he wasn't put in a ton of tricky situations a lot of the time but at least over three years you're more confident of it than you are one year of Zach Wilson particularly given the kind of weird COVID year that it was Um, the one thing I think that stands in his favor in that regard is that he just has that tendency to play outside of the structure of the offense anyway so even if he wasn't pressured a ton um, and didn't have to face a, a bunch of ugly situations, he kind of, he likes to play that style of football anyway. So I have a, a reasonable kind of confidence that he'll actually be good at it when he, when he is at the NFL level. Yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense to me as well. And I think being a quarterback friendly, I mean, this, if you can't succeed in the Shanahan West Coast scheme, it, it's really difficult to, kind of make a case for why you're going to be good. So it doesn't matter what the quarterback is, whether it's Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins or any of these guys you go on throughout the list. Of, they've put up numbers and they've been able to do well. And even if you don't love their upside talent-wise, they've still effective quarterbacks and they'd probably be the best Jets quarterback since since Namath, you know, even Kirk Cousins, right? So um, transitioning a little bit, you know, away from the quarterback because I know everyone just wants to talk about Wilson, but uh, Marcus May is a guy that, uh, we mentioned it kind of in the beginning. I mentioned in the beginning of the show. You kind of released your, I think, your top 10 safeties. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going into the year from last year or kind of combined the two. And Marcus May is a guy that I think Jets fans maybe don't give enough credit to. Um, weirdly enough, I think we look at how the team was 2-14 and 14 or the team was 7-9. and nine, He still pops off the screen, and I think he does everything pretty well. Um, what makes him a special player, and why did you have him where you did um, you know, on that list, because as a, I get excited about that. I want them to extend them. Um, how'd that, how'd that kind of all play out for you? Yeah, he, he's always played sort of second fiddle to Jamal Adams. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, the way they were drafted and, and he came in essentially as second fiddle and it was just always going to be the way. And then I think part of it is also that the roles of the each carved, like Jamal Adams became the do-it-all guy, the, the flashy player who was lining up everywhere, and that just gets attention, right? Whereas all Marcus May was doing was playing the free safety coverage role that allows that guy to be able to do that in the first place. And so it was always a kind of interesting dynamic. And then this year we got to see that actually if you let Marcus May do more of that flashy stuff, he can do that really well as well. And you know, he started off essentially playing the Jamal Adams role earlier in the season and was really, really good at it. And then they they sort of backed off a little bit and made him more, put him back more of his conventional uh, old free safety role, didn't do as much of that. But, 
know, at least for a while, we got to see that, hey, if, if, Jamal, if it had been reversed, right, if Jamal Adams was the guy who'd got just put a free safety and Marcus May was the guy sort of put in the glamour position and let, let do all those different things, you, you might have a completely reversed opinion about the two guys. So I think we've seen for years that, that Marcus May is able to be a really good coverage free safety and, and pick up the right positions and prevent things into his coverage, but he's also able to do a bunch of other stuff. He's able to rush the passer on the blitz. He can defend the run. He can uh, line up covering the slot and, and doing all those kinds of things. So I think it was, it was a good year for him to sort of show that he isn't just a, a nice coverage player. He is a versatile a versatile safety that can line up everywhere and, and do everything you want. And while he was doing that, you know, Jamal Adams got the big trade, went to Seattle. And as much as he was you know, doing a great job on the blitz and all those kinds of things, he was kind of torched a bunch of time in coverage. And that was like, that did put a, a dampener on how high we could put him in the rankings. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny. I just, the venom that went from the defending of Jamal Adams of, to people because the Jets weren't good and like Jamal Adams was the one standout guy to now the venom of the fan base <laughs> towards him when reality, hey, you got us potentially Elijah Barrett Tucker and whoever the Jets were and you know use that pick on next year. And essentially, you know, I'm I'll be okay with it if they got a better offense because they have Jets haven't played offense particularly well over the last uh, you know, decade or so, even even plus that. But um Last question on like the current state of the roster, who is maybe one guy that stands out to you that can make a big leap this year? Um, for me, it's not a leap, but Mosley stands out just because he was an awesome, awesome football player. And he's looked good in OTAs. Yes, they're OTAs. And I understand that it's, <laughs> I understand it better than most that that doesn't mean much, but um, who is a guy that maybe stands on the roster that's either, you know, a young guy or even a vet that can maybe make a return to a return to glory in, uh, in green this season? Um, it might be like, I don't know if Quinn and Williams is sort of viewed as having already got there. You know, he's definitely taken a huge step forward and, and last year was really good, but this could be the year that Quinn and Williams become, puts himself into that kind of Chris Jones territory of like the best interior pass rusher in the NFL that isn't Aaron Donald. I think he has that kind of potential and his career at Alabama was a similar sort of slow burn until he really kicked off and became the dominant player that got him drafted as high as he was. Williams this year, I think, could be pretty special. Bryce Hall, somebody in the secondary, I think that that is tailor made for this new defensive scheme that's coming in. And you know, the the secondary for the Jets generally, the cornerback position anyway, is a real kind of question mark. There's not a, it's all like fifth round picks and beyond. There's there's no kind of pedigree there. But similar to the offense, it's a scheme that's coming in that does play to their strengths a lot and sort of covers up a lot of weaknesses. Bryce Hall, I think it has the kind of talent to be an impact player within that secondary. And, and that would be a pretty interesting one to see if that happens. Um, and then if, you know, if Zach Wilson is this kind of giant step forward a quarterback, like we're going to remember pretty quickly, I think that Jamison Crowder is a really good wide receiver, right? And, and probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because he's a limited role player and they don't, they, they haven't had the guys that are supposed to be ahead of him on the depth chart, but you know, if Mims and Corey Davis and, and this whole thing works, like Jamison Crowder is still a, a really, really good player. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's talk this morning about, um, I'd like to see them kind of, instead of just make him take a pay cut this year, kind of extend it to be a two year deal and, and get him for better value. Cause Jamison Crowder then at like $7 million a year is really, really productive and good value as opposed to, you know, Jamison Crowder at $11 million and on a unguaranteed one-year deal where you'll lose many ways or you'll get traded at the deadline. Um, 
last kind of last thing here in terms of, in, you know, in terms of the upcoming season, maybe what's like, it's a tough question, obviously, because you don't know what injuries could happen in camp or others, other moves to be made, but what would you say like a range of wins would be realistic? Like, what do you, what do you need to see from the Jets this year to go 2022? They, they could be a playoff team and you're, you're pumped about them going in. We're ta- having this conversation a year from now and you're like, I think they're going to be a playoff team competing with Buffalo and Miami. New England. I think it's tough because that division could be really good. Um, and that might be the, like the single biggest thing working against them is that I can easily imagine a world where the Bills, the Dolphins and the Patriots are all chasing double digit wins. And that leaves the Jets almost by default, fairly rooted to the bottom, getting stuck somewhere. Um, I think I'm not really concerned necessarily by how many games they win. I'm, I'm interested in particular by what Zach Wilson looks like, because, you know, if they go through this year and they have a year like the Bengals did last season with Joe Burrow, where, you know, they won four games. Okay, Burrow got hurt, so that didn't help. But you come out of the season and injury aside, you're like, okay, the season didn't go well, but at least we know that Joe Burrow is the future, right? Now you're happy. You can build around him and you can imagine a a scenario where you're going to take steps forward and be competitive pretty quickly. That's all the Jets need to get out of this year. Like, it doesn't matter how many games they win. If they can come out of the year confident that Zach Wilson and this new, um, regime this new coaching group together that those guys are the answer then all's good like it doesn't matter if they win four games it doesn't matter if they win seven games or or any number between or above it like it's it's perfect um so that i think is should be their target is is just come out of this year confident that zach wilson is the future and by that i, I don't mean necessarily like you know flashes are not like not enough you need to see a consistent sort of clear and obvious upgrade at that position because you know you've been through the sort of flashes of ability for a few years now and they never became anything more than that we need to see more than that in Wilson and then we can move forward yeah no especially in terms of I just think of like Sam's rookie year and it was really rocky and then the last four games are really good I think he graded out as like a top five PFF quarterback that last month right and it was like that flash that literally is most people have been holding on to and the one or two plays a game for for a while now, myself included, I'm, I'm a victim of it also, but no, I agree with you. I think it's all about Wilson and some of these young guys taking a huge step. If they catch lightning in a, by default, moving on from Gase and having a competent head coach, they probably are a five win team because the Raiders game last year, they probably win. There's a couple other games in there like they should have won if they were even coached remotely well. Um, so I think between five and eight wins has got to be realistic. Their schedule is easier and things like that. But um, yeah, I know you mentioned a couple teams in the division there. What are your, other than Buffalo, which is, is the obvious choice there, you know, Super Bowl contending team, how do you think the rest of the division kind of like Miami and New England shake out? Because I think there's such a, I don't want to say parody in terms of the way people think about it, but some people are still really high on Tua. Some people think Tua stinks. Some people are really like high on the Patriots, but questions at quarterbacks and people love Mac Jones and people don't. How do you kind of, you see those two kind of teams playing out? Because I assume everyone's kind of on the Buffalo is going to win the division, that everyone's fighting for a second or a wild card spot. Um, there how do you feel like Miami doing kind of shake out yeah I think Miami it all comes down to Tua like what kind of step forward does he take in year two does he show development can he be that guy going forward I think if he can then the Dolphins have a really good team around him and there's no reason they can't be really good this year like I think they were ahead of the curve in terms of where they expected to be and how long they thought that this was going to take um 
So it really now all just comes down to Tua. And I think, look, he wasn't good last year, but there's reasons to think there are, there's reasons for that. And they, we shouldn't have necessarily expected him to be good between the injury, between I think the, the kind of difference between playing quarterback at Alabama and playing quarterback at the NFL. Like that guy was throwing to four first round wide receivers in the SEC. Like he had, I don't want to say the easiest job of any quarterback, but like the picture he's looking at every time he drops back at Alabama is just a wide open receiver. Like you're not getting the same picture in the NFL, particularly last year's Miami where even the good receivers that they have guys like Devontae Parker, they're not like separation specialists. So either way, he's looking up at a guy that's pretty tightly covered and has to rewire his whole process. That's going to take some time. Like that doesn't happen overnight. So I think there's reasons to sort of explain away his rookie year, but doesn't matter. Like now he needs to show it. Now he needs to actually take that step. The Patriots, I think, should be a lot better than last year, but I don't know how good they can be with their quarterback situation. So I just I don't have a ton of confidence that Cam Newton can get back to being, you know, a great player. And then I don't know that Mac Jones will be ready year one for the same reasons we've just been talking about with Tua. Like he's gonna have the same kind of adjustment, like this throwing to uh Devontae Smith and and Jalen Waddle, who are wide open every play, versus playing in the NFL where they're just not like that again it's going to be a an adjustment for Mac Jones as well as it was for Tua so the Patriots may be a, a much better team they may have a, a good roster on both sides of the ball now but it's going to come down to their quarterback as well yeah no it's interesting because you mentioned something before about how competitive the divisions can be for the Jets but I think of those four defensive coordinators that are head coaches obviously in this division between you know you look at obviously Belichick is Belichick and he crushes young quarterbacks and this whole division is young quarterbacks and um, obviously Sal Kamian is a top defensive coordinator McDermott's a top defensive coordinator or their defensive head coach Flores obviously has been a stud so far so I'm interested to see I have very little confidence in Cam at this point and I, I don't I like Cam as a guy who's a really exciting player to watch but it just as much as Sam was bad last year Cam's numbers were awful also, and you can use the COVID stuff as much as you want. His weapons stunk too. So, like, if ever if you're going to be harsh on Cam as a former MVP, like, I just don't know why you – like, it's hard to expect a guy on the wrong side of 30 that's taken some huge hits over the past decade to then get, like, more mobile and his arm to be stronger and, like, not throw the ball into the ground from five yards. I don't know. Mac Jones had the best – you know, Lane Kiffin – I mean, not uh, – like Sark is, like – a very good offensive coordinator and to have that on top of the town at Alabama does put you in a situation that you're going to be really, really successful. You saw with Tua too, like this from a scheme perspective and a talent perspective, they got the best of both worlds. So I'm interested to see both. Um, there's another quite, I got a couple of Twitter questions here for you. One was asking about, um, we talked a little bit about Marcus May, but is there one, um, one or two metrics that stand out to you that make Marcus May better than Jamal Adams? I think, I, kind of, I think you kind of touched on it. it was the ability to encourage and do everything. Is that really what stands out there, a difference in coverage, um, why one's better than the other? Well, certainly, yeah, it, it, in terms of recency bias, which is always a thing that that is difficult to quantify and keep on top of with, with this kind of thing. Like Marcus May, we've seen for years as a really good coverage player. We've got confidence in it. Even when he asked to, or when he had to move positions or move roles this year, he was still really good in coverage. Um, Jamal Adams went to Seattle and you know, whatever about the, the role that he had there, he was put in coverage a lot and 
got beat a lot. I mean, some of it was, you know, one-on-one with Julian Edelman, and that's just a bad matchup. Like, that's not necessarily his fault. That's the team kind of hanging him out to dry. But there was a lot of bad beats and covers that weren't against Julian Edelman. That were against, you know, people you would expect him to be covering, and he wasn't. So we've seen Jamal Adams cover well in the past, but it's been in that role that only exists because you have a guy behind you that's able to kind of take some of the pressure off. So what happens if you flip that and now Jamal Adams is asked to be that guy and the sort of safety valve that lets everything else work and it's a limited sample size, but what we've seen so far is that he isn't as good at that as, as Marcus May is. So essentially, you know, in very crude terms, they were kind of asked to flip roles to some extent this year. And one of them did really well in that role and the other one didn't. Um, so I guess, I guess that was the, the real difference, but you know, we, we still had Jamal Adams ranked highly. Um, and I think safety more than most of these positions we've been ranking, there's so many good ones. Like you can go 10 deep and still be talking about an all pro player. You can go 15 deep and still be talking about really, really good players. So when you're sort of splitting these guys in the top 10, I think it's really, really fine margins in a way. It isn't necessarily with some of these other positions where there's like a giant gap between like number five and number eight. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. I think it's a super deep position at safety. It's only, it's a, a really young group for the most part. Um, it's a couple of, you know, the vets that are getting towards the end here, but um, there's, it's a, it's a deep group for, uh, for sure. But um, there's a couple, there was a couple of fun PFF ones. People know we, I had Mike on. Um, question was, should he do the bachelorette again? And if not that, what reality show should he go on next? Yeah, that was that was Mike in the Bachelorette. It didn't didn't go too well for him. Um, yeah, he got two roses, def- right? Yeah, and he he made you know I think the catch of the the catch of that flag football game or the football whatever the weird football game was they were doing. I think Mike <laughs> had like the highlight real catch of that. So yeah, I mean that part went went well for him. I'm not sure what other uh, what other reality show you would put him on, but um, yeah, I'm not sure what else you'd stick him in. But yeah, he's a successful reality star mike renner i know and you won the uh you won the 40 yard dash i gave him a little bit of crap for that i'm four six is very fat i i i think he vastly overvalued the four yes. six there was he did dramatically overestimate how fast he was like he i think a four eight two was his fastest I think that was time a, that was a generous four eight two well, that, I mean, zach robinson was the guy on the stopwatch so it's it's official as it gets but yeah like he was he was a four eight two, and I mean, that, that made sense. Like, he's Mike's not un- unathletic, but he had no idea how to sprint and a particular start, which was his biggest problem. Uh, that was enjoyable to watch. It's like it's if you haven't watched that video, it's enjoyable. Sam wins some money, so you should uh, you can you can get a good laugh out of that. But um, in terms of you know the one other thing that was uh, obviously a hot topic, we talked about Marcus May stuff, is the Tyree Kill deep threat thing. Where do you uh? Where do you stand on that viral uh, that viral comment that Tyreek Hill might be the best deep threat in NFL history? Who's uh? Do you agree or you have somebody else that I'm hoping you say Randy Moss? But you know, no, anyone I mean, else up there? Randy Moss is the best deep threat in NFL history. If it isn't Randy Moss, I mean Bob Hayes. Essentially, they had to invent zone coverage because of Bob Hayes. Like that guy. There's an article somewhere that that essentially argues that Bob Hayes is the best sprinter that's ever lived, like the best track sprinter. Like when you look at what he did in terms of his athletics career, track and field career, when they were running on like cinder fields and all that kind of stuff, like he's one of the fastest humans to ever exist. And when they put him on a football field, 
it changed the game because everybody else around him was not even not even could they not run with him but they weren't within orders of magnitude away from being able to run <laughs> with him right so your idea of playing like man-to-man -man coverage just went out the window you couldn't do that against him because nobody could be within five yards of him down the field so you had to invent zones um i mean moss did a similar kind of thing except the league was slightly better prepared to deal with it because zone coverage and all that kind of stuff was well you know established and all that kind of thing but again like Moss changed the game. Like he, there's a reason it's called getting Moss. Like he wasn't just a deep threat who could run by everybody, but he could. He would also go up and take the ball away from you at the catch point if you were able to challenge for it. Like Tyreek Hill is a really good player. I'd say he's the best deep threat in the NFL today. Like Moss, he's able to go up and get it, um, even though you wouldn't expect it for a guy his size. But I mean, right now he's just sort of doing what Moss already did, you know, 20, 20 plus years ago. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I had someone tweeted, like, I got a couple people in my mentions. Hey, like, is this Tyreek Kill thing? Like, what do you say? And I was like, I literally grew up playing wide receiver. I played wide receiver for my whole life. And everything, all you want to do is Moss somebody. Like, that was the coolest thing you could possibly do, playing pickup or tackle football in the backyard with your friends. Like, you want to Moss somebody. Like, that should show you when you, you know, it's like the same thing when you look at the Jordan stuff. Like, everyone to be like, Mike, there's a reason that you're uh, – you are the way you are, but also quick, quickly before we let you go here, Austin, another guest of the, I guess the pod thoughts on the tattoo looks a little wild. The leg tattoo, he just put on uh, he's tweeting about how, uh, how, how, what are the, is there a reaction you guys giving him some, some crap for that leg tattoo? Yeah. I never even checked with him if that was like real, if it was his, what the deal is. I mean, assuming it's his, I don't even know what, what is it referencing. It's like an office. I have no idea. I'm so, I was so confused. I texted him. I was like, "Wait, what? Like, what is that?" Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it's a line from a show that he likes and I haven't seen. So I, I don't have many comments on it based off that. Based <laughs> off not even understanding the reference, but it's not what I would choose to get tattooed on me. Put it that way. That's fair. Last question before we let you go. I don't know if you're a big. I'm a huge soccer fan. Everybody knows that. I don't know how much. You're going to watch the Euros. Do you have a prediction on who's going to win? Because I'm a Germany guy. Hope Germany wins. Do you have a prediction there? We just root against England in, in uh, cohorts, or how are you going to, how are you going to watch the, uh, the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to happen, but I think there's a reasonable chance that England does win. I mean, it's essentially a home, a home tournament for them. Crowds are actually coming back, and they do have a really, really good team. So I, I sadly think they are actually in, in a really good spot to win that. Yeah, no, I think, is Ireland not allowed to host games now? Is that actually, is that still happening? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not going to be hosting because no, they're not super annoying country yet. Okay, well, regardless, um, go Germany. But no, I we appreciate you coming on the pod. Make sure you check out the NFL, uh, the PFF NFL pod. Sam does a great job. And although, even if we disagree on Sam, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the content. I think it's, it's everything in PFF is really well thought out. If you guys don't quite understand kind of where a lot of the stuff come from, comes from, it's honestly worth asking because it's not just throwing stuff. It's like very much well thought out analytics plus people watching film and actually dissecting it. So we appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you coming on the pod and hopefully uh, next time we talk, the Jets will be in a much better spot. It'll be exciting. And uh, we can talk about getting to the playoffs. Cool. Thanks for having me. Take care guys. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you Monday. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.